Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Trying to just grab all, grab all the bags, as the kids say. Is that how they say it? I don't know. Whatever. You're taking shots at the unathletic, arthritic, <laughs> old alligator? I can't find anything now. I'm a feeble old buffoon. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Silver Sevens on a Thursday. It's our Thursday home. Thursday night football on the way. Seahawks and the Rams. And when the game starts, bottles of beer. Bud, Bud Light, McUltra, just 77 cents. A lot of college football talk today. We'll get into the uh, slate that's upcoming. UNLV is off this week, but a lot of good games in the Pacific and Mountain time zone that we'll get into. Uh, our college football experts, Michael Felder and Brad Powers, will be with us. We'll get a Bears preview. So a lot coming up, a lot coming up. I don't have to lay it all out for you right now. All right, let's do it. It's Trending at 2, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. You know, so I've seen people uh, real excited, especially folks in the sports media, uh, they're going to be real busy. We're going to be real busy. Schedule includes a uh, back end of extended weekend, which is Vegas Golden Knights opening their season on Tuesday. You got the big football game in town with the Bears. Uh, you got WNBA action as well. And one of the other things I've seen listed as a big part of the weekend, and I guess it is, is the Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder fight. Heavyweights meeting up for the third time. Should be a good crowd. I won't be there. Um, But that's kind of where I'm at now with boxing and MMA, and I'm not going to bash MMA today. Uh, But with boxing, the clown show that it is sometimes has just turned into a big turnoff. And you know that this show was gigantic on boxing for a long, long time, but... There's only so much you can tolerate with the lack of, you know, high-level matchmaking. We miss out on big fights. You know, careers end. You know, Pacquiao just retired. Floyd is currently retired. You know, we got to see him one time, not three. I mean, I guess I give boxing credit. At least the uh, the heavyweights, Wilder and Fury, are going to meet multiple times. This will be the third time. Um, you know, these guys should have met up with Anthony Joshua, but they keep delaying the GDM fights that Joshua keeps losing. So, Luster... He's gone from that. And then there's the stuff that goes on around boxing. And it happened again yesterday. And should this drag a whole sport down? No. But honestly, if boxing fans are like, why don't we get coverage? Well, do the people in the sport want coverage when they behave the way they behaved yesterday? And do normal people want to watch boxing when there's all these other options? And the behavior of the people in the sport is so abhorrent. So yesterday there were multiple blowups at the Wilder Fury press conference. Uh, One included a media member being escorted out because Bob Arum didn't like the question he asked, which there's such a long history of just baby behavior by people who act like they're tough guys, part of a tough guy sport, and then when you ask them a tough question, ask for a little openness they're like get out of here okay if you want to be childish then we're going to treat you like children right and a lot of that is then we're just going to ignore you 
And this fight deserves some coverage, but the media member being escorted out yesterday was just, that's absurd. And the fact that, you know, no one else in the, in the boxing media, very few will step up and go, that's bull crap. Frankly, it's, I think it's part of the reason, I, you know, it's funny off the air. Maybe I asked him on the air. I was asking Adam Hill, who still covers MMA but doesn't cover boxing anymore. Um, they're not that far apart in terms of issues. But when I asked Adam Hill, who's jack of all trades and he loves the fight game, if he was covering it, he just scoffed. He's like, nah. Uh, but the, the bigger deal yesterday was there was some miscommunication, I think. And even if it was done on purpose, the way it was handled. So you have this press conference, and between Fury being the class clown and Deontay Wilder being incredibly immature, like, you know, appearing at other press conferences and just standing there, sitting there, and not talking for a half an hour, which is so stupid. So yesterday, they, they do their press conference. They're talking over each other at multiple times, trying to talk trash to each other. Fury's trying to set off Wilder. What you hope is that you don't get, you know, freaking uh, what you got with Caleb Plant and Canelo a few weeks back where they're throwing on each other, right, risking the fight. Plant gets a little cut. Uh, these are heavyweights, so, you know, they, I'm not going to say they're going to kill each other, but you want to make sure the, the fight is preserved. And I guess an agreement was made beforehand. Uh, let's not have them face off. So there's a woman, Kate Abdow. I don't know who she is, and that's not to say she's not a big deal. She may be a big deal. She's working on the Fox side. This is, a, I guess, a Fox and uh, top rank Aram promotion. And Aram gets all pissed off at her because, one, he thinks she's biased, which, again, this is the kind of childish crap that goes on in boxing, you know, because it's so splintered with the promoters. Uh, people are questioning objectivity. And then apparently she made the cardinal sin of trying to get the guys to do a, a standoff or a stand-up or a square-off, right? Um, but because we all know that many boxers are just simply too immature to think about, first and foremost, their payday, but they're too immature to show a little self-control and not punch each other for free outside the ring. I guess that set Aram off, and then he starts going, F this, F that. They bring this woman in from the U.K., and she's, she's slanting all the press conference to Wilder. Like, I don't give a damn. But it's obvious that that's what she was doing. And then she knew that the understanding was no face-off. We said no face-off. And what does she say? Now we're going to do a face-off. F*** her and f*** them. There was no face-off, and we saved the fight. And then you can hear, you know, Bob's pushing 90. Bob's getting more and more cantankerous as he gets older. And he's never won to mince words. So he's wrong for saying F her. Nice. But then you get the class clowns, the jabronis around them who are like, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's real funny. Um, eventually, you know, he goes on to explain himself. He's like, it's still a sport. In the ring, they can kill each other and beat the ass out of each other. But before a fight, you got to control them, so don't do something like that. Um, there was no security up there. There was this broad egging him on. I mean, it's 2021. Broad. And, you know, you can laugh it off, but here's the thing. The sport already has a history recently of being anti-female. Uh, they're certainly pro-female in terms of having their uh, T's and A's out, walking around the ring, right, with the ring girls. But go back to the Floyd fight against Pacquiao. You remember uh, Rachel Nichols and Michelle Beadle and other female reporters were like, eh, you know what, I'm not really comfortable with the fight here and glamorizing Floyd so much with this history of violence against women. And then lo and behold, uh, Friday and a Saturday morning before the fight, uh, multiple women were having, and the ones I mentioned, we're having trouble getting their credentials because they were going to be blocked from the fight. And then another promoter had to step in and save the day. So it's a sport that is antiquated. There's too much xenophobia. Uh, F her, that kind of stuff. 
idiots laughing at comments like that, which are crude. And believe me, I'm not some freaking, you know, delicate person. But it just it gets old. It does. And then you wonder why, and I think it'll it'll draw well, and I think it'll do well on pay-per-view, but you wonder why boxing is in the place it's in because a lot of legit fans and legit media people are like, it's kind of a joke with the F-her and the broad this. Cut it out, boxing. Cut it out. All right, time to get to real sports. On the way back, we'll get to football. We'll get to what happened last night uh, with the Dodgers. We'll hear that uh, great closing call of the game on TBS. The Dodgers are officially in the playoffs, and you know what? We actually have the Division Series game starting up already. Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at 2. It's a refi-rated Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. Reyes fires. Swing and a drive. Deep left field. This is way back. Walk him off. Chris Taylor. Back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. I love LA. Yep, they had it cranked up like 15 seconds after the home run goes out there. Incredible atmosphere at Dodger Stadium. One of the evil umpires is in to the playoffs. Red Sox also in. Uh, San Fran's also an evil umpire when they choose to be from a money standpoint. But uh, high drama, Chris Taylor, who had really been terrible down the stretch. I mean, really a uh, good player for a, a deep, deep organization with the Jack for you, uh, for you folks who had Dodgers money line up yours. Come on. You get that? You get that? Okay. You got it. You got it. Lucky, lucky, but Dodgers come through cards go bye by the self-anointed best fans in baseball are on the sidelines now. So Dodgers are in Red Sox are in. And of course, after the game, whining continues about, the Major League Baseball playoff format, which, eh, listen, I'm open to Rob Manfred looking at it. Um, I fear that he'll make it worse because many of his ideas are horrific, right? The seven-inning doubleheaders better go bye-bye. The stupid runner on second in uh, extras, I hate that. This is a pretty simple fix. Well, I think there's multiple things and that they could fix. Go to a two-of-three series for the wild card, Right? I don't know that's a, that's going to satisfy everyone. I've seen a lot of people say, you know, oh, well, now we have the Giants and the, the Dodgers going at it and the division series, and we're getting cheated out of a great NLCS. Well, I mean, do you, do you want the entire divisional format of baseball blown up? Do we, do we, or do we want to keep divisions, protect rivalries, so the Dodgers and Giants play 300 times during the season. They play 19, right? Do we want to protect that? but then go to complete reseed for the playoffs. I'd be open to it. I don't know if Manfred is – it ain't that creative. I don't know if he's going to be willing to do it. And I think you should angle to have the two best teams in baseball go at it, but I don't know. Will Bob Costas roll over in his grave on that one? He's still alive. It's always a joke. So they seem like pretty simple changes. The three-game wild card would work. The having the two best teams potentially square off in the championship series, like I said, then you got to change the uh, how the teams are fed to the playoffs after the division format. And I don't think we want to get rid of the divisions. There's too much history there. People do like the rivalries. Baseball does need to make money. These rivalry matchups do sell well. Who knows? Maybe Manfred will go crazy and, and consider one of the ideas that 
many ideas that he was considering during the COVID year where you're basically blowing up, you know, leagues and just having regions where all of a sudden, you know, it's the Angels and Dodgers in the same division, Mets and Yankees in the same division. I I don't know what's on the table, but uh, I can deal with it for now. This is probably something that's going to happen, what, once every 15 years where you get two 100-win teams. I mean, it's it's happened in the AL East, but uh, it doesn't happen that often, so – I'm not going crazy over it, but what, what's uh, now set up is a uh, tremendous, tremendous series between the Giants and the Dodgers, 107 wins and 106 wins. So we got a rivalry in the West, even though right now they're not in the same conference. One technically is not in a conference in college football, and it's BYU. I want to talk Boise-BYU on the way back. Tom Luganbill is working the game. We'll get into some of the conference realignment and more of the rumors because this actually could be if Boise gets its wish – this could be uh, not only a regional rivalry, but it could be a conference rivalry if they both make it into the Big 12. And we'll preview what's going to happen on Saturday if Boise can actually hang with BYU. 77-cent Bud Light bottles. Silver 7's Hotel and Casino has you hooked up. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7's, it's Cofield & Company. Thursday night football during the game, 77 cent beers. Yep, Vegas at its best. Bud, Bud Light, and Mick Ultra Bottles at Silver 7, 77 cents during the Seahawks and the Rams. Let's talk a little college football. Let's talk a little uh, conference realignment. Tom Luganville has been covering college football forever. He's uh, an analyst for ESPN. He's a sideline reporter. He's working the Boise-BYU game this weekend. Tom, how are you doing? It's Steve in Vegas. I'm doing good, Steve. How are you doing, man? I'm awesome. I'm looking forward to this weekend. we got a lot of good uh, college football on deck. Uh, let's break down this game a little bit and then kind of look at the wider picture around college football. Uh, first on the BYU side, does it matter who plays quarterback? Because right now you've got kind of a, a three-headed depth chart because of injuries. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. You know, they've been able to weather the storm, and, it, and it's not only been a quarterback, but it's been in the offensive line. It's been in the defensive front seven. They've just been able to plug and play, and I, I think when you have an older squad like they do and You've got a lot of different bodies that you can, you know, put in different roles. You're you're a little battle tested. You know, I've had this team three times over the last two years, and this will be the first time I've had them without Zach Wilson. But the run game, their ability to bend but don't break defensively, they're just a really well coached, disciplined football team. And I, I don't know yet how talented they are, but I know they don't do things to hurt themselves and they don't put themselves in situations that could cost them the game. And, you know, I think I I would be surprised. They're hoping to get Jaron Hall back. I don't think we'll see uh, Romney. If anything, Jacob Conover, the the true freshman, who's going to be a really exciting player. I think it's going to be between him and and Jaron Hall. And if they can continue to run the ball, all the quarterbacks got to do is not screw it up. You know, I liken BYU's schedule to Notre Dame. Notre Dame's schedule is a little bit tougher, but it's just, you know, every week there's someone pretty good on the schedule. I mean, there's, there's, sure. not, a way, there's not a way BYU is going unbeaten this year, right? Well, I'll tell you, you know, it's interesting. Everybody keeps talking about Cincinnati, right? And is this the, the time that a group of five, or in BYU's case, a non-power five, could be considered for a college football playoff berth with some of the chaos that we've had with, you know, Clemson not playing overly well, Ohio State's already lost. And I keep hearing Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Well, if you look at Cincinnati's schedule and you look at BYU's schedule and both of them were to end up coming out unscathed, there's no comparison between the two. 
BYU should get the invite because they're going to end up having, what, five Pac-12 opponents and plus Baylor, um, obviously Boise State on Saturday. So their schedule would be far more difficult than Cincinnati, and they would have earned it. So it's a little weird here in the Mountain West Conference. Uh, Boise, record-wise, is not Boise. And, you know, they've kind of become a one-dimensional team, which I think is kind of it's hurting Hank Bachmeyer. What's happened to their power game? I, I tell you, the offensive line is, is, is really a problem right now. And they've tried a couple of different variations, different guys in different spots, almost each and every week. And they can't just seem to get the right combination. And, you know, Hank Bachmeyer's a dude now. I'm telling you, that yeah. kid is tough. I actually had his very first game when they came back from a 31-6 to deficit at Florida State, won the game, and he was a true freshman. I was impressed with him then. I mean, even more impressed with him now. But they've become so one-dimensional, and he is just taking a pounding. Right now, Boise State is averaging um, one yard per carry before contact. One yard per carry. So they can't get any push at the line of scrimmage. And I think what's happening is people are saying, all right, you can't run it on us, so we're just going to come after your quarterback and see if he'll make a mistake. Well, last week they had two botched uh, snaps because they had a new center in there. You open up the third quarter with a, a strip sack fumble. And so he's been under duress an awful lot, but I think he's a great player, and they just got to find a way to help him out a little bit. Do you think Boise and BYU will one day be a Big 12 conference rivalry? Uh, you know, it's a good question. You know, um, you know, it's interesting the overtures that Boise State seems to turn down all of the time, whether it's been the American Conference, whether it's been the Big 12 this time around. Um, it, it, it's interesting to see what it is they're looking at long term, if they're maybe sitting back and waiting to see if there's even more shifts and things even change uh, more dramatically. Um, it, it, to me, it would make some sense uh, from a Big 12 perspective, but the Pac-12 would make sense too. Yeah. And, you know, you know, with the Pac-12 sitting there at 12 teams, if we start to look at conferences expanding, that would give them, what, four open slots to get to 16. Obviously, Boise would be an addition that I think would be very similar to what Utah has brought to the table. So I, I think time will tell, but they seem to be playing the slow game. Tom Luganville is covering BYU and Boise, but he covers the entire scene around the country. He also does uh, ACC Today for Sirius XM on Channel 371. Um, I wanted to talk about some of the big games this weekend. Can Texas – man, if B. John Robinson doesn't have a monster game, can Texas beat Oklahoma? Well, you know what? I, I think he has to have a good game. I don't know if he has to have the game that he's had each of the last three weeks, and our crew happened to have Texas two of the last three weeks. So we've seen it front and center – and I'm telling you right now, if that guy's not getting your Heisman vote, you're not watching college football. That's how good he is. Um, and so, yeah, I think he has to have a big day. He's got to be an integral part of what they're doing. The, the offensive line since getting dismantled against Arkansas, what, almost four weeks ago now, has completely uh, reversed its fortunes. And I think Casey Thompson's made a big difference. I think Casey Thompson gives them a chance if for some reason they were stalled in the run game Maybe things didn't go like they thought they might. That happened a little bit last Saturday on the road versus TCU. It was one of those games. It wasn't easy. It was a difficult game to win. And the thing that's interesting is you've got an Oklahoma team coming into this thing that has played real spotty football, can't run the ball, offensive line is a problem. You've got a quarterback in Spencer Rattler who's only thrown three touchdowns the whole year. And now you've got this hot Texas team coming in that didn't overlook TCU, took care of business, 
they've got all the momentum. I almost feel like the pressure in this game isn't on Texas, it's on Oklahoma. I'm going to take a weird path and go back to BYU for a second because I wanted to mention Kalani Sataki, a super impressive guy, you know, fought off some of the critics early in his BYU career. You grew up uh, in the region. You went to uh, junior college in Southern California. You grew up in in Arizona. Um, So you're familiar with SC. Would that be a good spot? Like, they're looking at – who knows who they're looking at, really. But we're hearing all these glamour names. Wouldn't Sataki be a good match for USC? I think he could be, yes. I, I think that it's a name that's probably not brought up enough, gets glossed over. Um, you know, in my opinion, having grown up in the West Coast, my dad coached in the old Pac-8, the old Pac-10, and back when BYU San Diego State used to have those big battles, my dad was the head coach of San Diego State. So I've been around these teams since I was, you know, since I could walk. And I think with SC, the number one thing they've got to do, and this this could be a Sataki uh, thing. It could be somebody else out there. They've got to hire a recruiter first and a coach second. They have to. It used to be that if there was a great player on the West Coast, it was FC's player, and everybody else had to go come up with a solution. That's not the case anymore. So you got DJ Uyangala like going to Clemson. You got Bryce Young uh, going to Alabama. You got Tua going to Alabama. You got Kayvon Thibodeau leaving and going to Oregon. Those are all California kids. That never used to happen. So whoever gets hired has to be that grinder in recruiting and ensure that if there's a great player in the state, he doesn't go anywhere else. He goes to USC. That's the only way this thing is going to get fixed. Hell, they had JT Daniels, and he left, and they had a commit from Matt Corral, and he decommitted. So it's like the list of guys who they've been, you know, they've right. had and, and are from the region, it's just it's horrifying. I'm going to close on this because, again, the, the quarterback is a good theme. I still don't know if Jim Harbaugh has his quarterback. They don't seem to be willing to push the ball down the field. They did a little bit with McNamara, who actually is a Nevada guy, a Reno guy. Um, yeah. They pushed it down the field last week. Um, what's going to happen in this game? I, I just don't, I, I don't know if I'm buying Michigan completely. And I'll tell you, in Vegas they're not because Nebraska, who seemed to be left for dead at the beginning of the season, they're only three-and-a-half-point yeah. dogs against a top-ten team. Yeah, Nebraska's playing better and better and better. And I think that Vegas doesn't trust Michigan to play well in what is labeled as a big game. And to be honest with you, they've earned it. Because under Jim Harbaugh, Michigan has not played well when the pressure's been on. They have a horrible record versus top 10 teams. I know we're not talking about Nebraska here. But this game gets big because all of a sudden Michigan looks like they might be for real, but nobody trusts them. And, and I agree with you. I, I think they, they might have finally found their quarterback in Cade McNamara. They seem to be humming along on offense. They're not playing down to the level of competition. So I, I, I think it's going to be – it will be very interesting to see how they play versus an upstart Nebraska team because if they play well, then they could get hot and go on a streak. And I think Ohio State's starting to hit its stride with that quarterback now starting to come into his own five weeks into the season. So the big game at the end – could be a real barn burner. Tom, that was awesome. We know you're a busy guy. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks for having me. There he is, Tom Luganville. Played at Georgia Tech. You heard his dad's background coaching at San Diego State, and you see him all the time on ESPN on the college football coverage. He's also part of the ACC team on Channel 371 on Sirius XM. Caller 7 right now, 364-1100, 364-1100. give out some tickets to the movies, right? Movies, not cheap anymore. No Time to Die, the newest James Bond movie. Daniel Craig is Bond. Rami Malek is in the movie. It opens this Friday. Caller 7, caller 7, caller 7, 364-1100, 364-1100. We will flip the page completely 
On the way back, we're going to talk to our buddy out of Chicago, legal analyst in Xavier Pope. And I actually start on a uh, an interesting note. We uh, On the show, we watched a lot of TV last night, some sports and some other stuff. We're going to react to Dave Chappelle's latest special and also get into what's going on at ESPN with Sage Steele. She's off the air. What the hell happened? Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. Thursday, Silver 7s, we always check in with our legal analyst, culture analyst, maybe a comedy analyst today, and Xavier Pope. Uh, I come out of the gates, I'm looking up a name right now, Daphne Dorman, you can explain it. Uh, Dave Chappelle had the final of his, uh, whatever it was, five or six specials on Netflix go down recently. I watched it last night. I get the sense that you watched it last night. What did yeah. you think? I watched it, and I, I think, like equanimity, it was, it was, it fell flat to me. Uh, I think that it wasn't necessarily funny. Um, I think that Dave Chappelle basically allowed a joke to go on too long, and he, him trying to explain himself through making other jokes made it worse and i think a lot of comics workshop jokes all the time at various clubs to see what works and what doesn't and i feel like this is one of those jokes that he should have workshopped that he didn't that's just gone on too long and attempting to make his point about addressing you know racism as a society and he tried to use the point that you know white feminism and white lgq plus community is the it gets more treatment or advancing society further than black people. That message got muddied by some of the language to use, not recognizing there is a black LGBTQ plus community. And there's also a, there's a kind of conflating, you know, certain ways that black conservatives, those that are that black, that are conservatives, part of the black church and part of some other issues that kind of deeply entrenched that. So I thought this, it was a lot of, issues thrown at there and I think that Dave Chappelle essentially at the end of the day tried to make his comedy about something that's bigger than comedy maybe trying to center it on a piece that's that's about cancel culture and censorship and comedy and and I just think that it all got muddy and I think that him saying I'm not going to tell this joke anymore by the end I think that was probably a smart decision and using the woman that's Daphne if he's making a conversation about racism, why are you introducing, I have a white trans woman friend? I, it just didn't make a lot of sense. The joke didn't land. Not every, like equanimity, like I said, he had other brilliant specials like 846 about George Floyd. Dave Chappelle has hit a lot of times. This particular time, he just missed the mark. So if you just heard that explanation and you watched it, that was really good. If you haven't watched it, we're not going to ruin it for you. Uh, especially the kind of the, the punchline moment at the end. But uh, check it out. See what you think. Um, you know, we're all fans of comedy, and we're big fans of Chappelle on Cofield and Company, so I think it's worth a watch. And that was good stuff from Xavier. Well, let's talk more about, you know, language issues. We got a lot of important sport, uh, stories around sports and uh, inside of sports. Uh, first of all, what is going – we like talking TV. What is going on with Sage Steele? She made some comments on a podcast the other day to Jay Cutler – she's out with COVID or was she suspended for the language? Yeah, it, it looks like another conflation going on, Steve. Uh, Sage Steele was on a, a Jay Cutler, don't care podcast. And Jay Cutler, no one even thought about his podcast. So Sage Steele jumped on there, but she said some disparaging things about 
Barack Obama and his identity, basically stating that he claims to be black, but he had an absent black father um, was something that was just really just disparaging. Didn't have to say that. She also talked about her feeling forced to be vaccinated. Then we find out later that she actually had COVID and maybe that's why she actually probably got vaccinated. Um, also, uh, some of the things she said about women and how they dress and how they deserve to have a sort of treatment based on how they dress, some really antiquated language that, so she can't, so ESPN came out with a statement. They basically stated, we accept all forms of opinion, but they have to do so respectfully, um, but didn't specifically indicate which of its Sage Steele statements were the cause of any particular, any potential disciplinary action they took. They said, hey, we're going to take this private. And then Sage Steele basically quote unquote apologize but didn't say specifically what for and so it left open-ended as to whether what she was suspended for if she was suspended and whether there was just so happened to be this perfect storm of covid and some of the things she said that allowed espn to basically suspend her without suspending her what whether she got paid or not depending on whether she had covid or whether she was actually suspended or not i had some of my sources talking to me about what happened and basically told me what was going to happen but they didn't really have that those answers as well. And it's really interesting, interesting to see as we move forward, whether someone asked a little bit deeper to find out what's going on. You saw what happened with Rachel Nichols, where there was initial ESPN kind of like moved past it until the issue blew up in their face when there was a fall guy of a black woman that worked there in the production staff. So will there be more answers about exactly what happened? There remains to be seen, but I think there's definitely some more to be uncovered there. Yeah. One more thing on Sage Steele, the uh, ESPN sports center anchor, uh, you know, in that explanation, um, you know, one of the things she was talking about is the workplace environment and deadlines to get vaxxed. If a company requires you to be vaccinated, I think her deadline was at the end of September. And I I'm guessing the thing that got her in trouble there was, she called Disney's vaccination policy sick and perverse. I mean, it's interesting because so we're dealing with these policies all over the place. We got we still have a deal in uh, Washington at Washington State where Nick Rolovich has not been very clear about uh, his status and that he has to be fully vaccinated by I think it's uh, October 18th or he could face immediate termination. This is this is a real world workplace issue that's going on all over this country. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, think, I think it definitely is. But it also shows how vaccine testing or mandates work. Uh, if you don't want to work there, then then you won't. You, all right, don't get vaccinated. We saw what happened with Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins ultimately did what what he what he didn't. He talked about being forced to be vaccinated. No, you were not forced. You had a law in place. And if you did not, you could have, he could have left and done whatever he wanted to do and forego money and maybe get, have another career. It just makes it a little bit harder for you to do so. That's, that is what it is. And they have a private right to be able to do that. They have the legal reasoning to do that. Uh, let's talk Urban Meyer. Because uh, this, I cannot believe this is still going on, but this is his own doing. Uh, on the front end, his excuse was a lie. Then we see what happens out with this woman and then he just can't dig himself out of it because he continues to fib or be inconsistent he, he went from saying okay i got approval along ahead of ahead of time from the gm the jaguars to take time then he has a different story where i i needed to take time after the loss so okay was it the, the loss that you got approval or was it approval ahead of time Oh, you just stay, and you miss the team playing. Oh, you don't like team meetings while you cancel the meeting. Uh, and so he's shifting and changing his story. 
He has a locker room that he may have lost. Um, Shad Khan has set a, bound, set, a, set a bar for him to uh, meet, to be able to redeem himself. He's, Ever Meyer has talked about not even thinking about quitting. But if the Jaguars lose their next game and go 0-5, he's going to find himself out of a job. He could, especially if they get blown off the field, and I'm not so sure that they're going to be. I mean, you want to fight for yourself. You don't want to get hurt. You have pride as a player, but I, you know, coming together and being focused this week when this jabroni continues to have to deal with the story. From the world of hockey, and this is close to home in Vegas, uh, we've been talking about this all week. Robin Leonard uh, went on social media last weekend and uh, really pushed back on the NHL and the uh, handing out of uh, drugs kind of willy-nilly. He also, I thought, threw an allegation at a particular um, coach, you know, GM in the league. And we, we've actually been through this with uh, our other legal guys, Judge Dan and Justin Watkins, about defamation, that there wasn't anything clear enough for defamation on Leonard's point. But the bigger story here is a player stepping out of line and calling out a league in certain organizations. I mean, in a way, I guess you could say it's kind of heroic because a lot of people aren't willing to put their ass on the line to call out the league. Basically putting his also talking about how he's treated and mental health is being examined more in, in sports and stepping up and saying, hey, this didn't, this wasn't appropriate and how to communicate with players, how to communicate with your team uh, and, and, and doing so. And, and, and then speaking specifically about the issues that he has personally dealt with. I think that's very heroic. And I think that it's something that all athletes should speak up in terms of work-life balance has been a bigger, a big issue we've talked about a lot now lately. And also being, and also your mental and personal uh, emotional health and I think that's just something that's come to the forefront and kudos to players that have, have led the charge on that so that you know this tough guy and you know do what I have to say and that stuff is, is no longer part of sports anymore you know weird case in hockey with Evander Kane I mean he just continues uh, to have issues and there's some really serious issues out there you know allegations of uh, illegal gambling and then uh, abusing um, his his wife now we got a case where he may have handed in a fake Vax card. What do you think of this one? How serious is this when people do it? Because Canada is taking it really serious. I mean, they're fining people and threatening jail time. In the case of Vander Kane and you know Northern California and uh, you know U.S. authorities, I guess it's a federal crime to hand in a fake Vax card. What, what do you think of this? The last episode of Suit Up News, I, I predicted this would happen. I I I I decided that was is fake vaccination card an issue in sports? I, that that was the, the the premise we put to suit up news. The reason why I put that up is because their indoor sports are now the focus of our attention in sports right now. Major League Baseball, NFL, they they weren't these issues because they have open air stadiums and these new vaccination requirements are mostly focused on indoor facilities. And so it was wholly reasonable. Uh, that you see even with the reports we saw today in the National Basketball Association, some of the former players getting caught up in a health health and insurance fraud scam. And then also an NFL player potential, uh, bribing a, 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 a drug tester that it was totally reasonable to think that someone could be anti-vax, but could easily acquire an easily forgeable vaccination card, turning that in and it becoming a scandal. And so I think that that's just the first case we're going to see of it. I, I'm actually surprised the sports world isn't making a bigger issue of this. It may become a bigger issue with this. If we see maybe not just one player or scheme of players being involved with something like this. Evander Kane, what's going to happen in terms of 
his punishment by the league or whether he's going to be formally prosecuted for it. That remains to be seen, but I think it is a test case in terms of how this issue is going to be treated. And I think that having president a preferential treatment during a pandemic with a fake vaccination cards is a huge deal. And I think that he, he may be made an example of. MLB playoffs, we saw last night the Dodgers come up big in a one-game set to get into great the game. playoffs. Uh, great game. A lot of pressure. Uh, but you, like many people, say this is nonsense. This should be a three-game series for the wild card. I've been saying this since the beginning. What, it's 106 games that the Dodgers won uh, that they potentially could have been bounced from the playoffs. All you need, three games. You know, you've played 162 games. That's a lot of games for it to come down to one game. And then the team that loses, we saw this a few years ago with the Baltimore Orioles. They lost a when they lost one of their wild card games, when their coach said it was like we, we didn't. It's like we didn't even make the playoffs. If you have the sense of the team that's lost that they don't even feel like they've made the playoffs, then that's not the playoffs, right? Right. So the fans look at that. And it's not a playoff game. It's like the playing game, the NBA. Then that's not the playoffs. And so I think it's important to give the impression that teams are in the playoffs and give them the better, best opportunity. And baseball works a lot differently. When it comes to uh, winner-take-all games and ro- setting up rotations, setting up a rotation is part of how series are played. Yeah. And I think that's part of the game and how it's played. Baseball is different than one game, one in, one in, you're in, or you're out. And so I think that that's why it has to be changed. All right, let's close on this. Big football weekend here in Las Vegas. Big football weekend for uh, Chicago Bears fans. Bring it! Bring it! We're ready. We are ready in town for uh, Justin Fields now officially the starting quarterback, we think, moving forward until uh, Matt Nagy changes his mind. So how excited are you for Justin Fields? And I I, I thought Justin Fields was pretty interesting in some of the comments he made uh, in his press availability this week, especially talking about being focused and not just celebrating being the starting quarterback. Yeah, he talked about his parents wanting to celebrate him getting the starting job. He walked to dinner. He decided to go and study some film. Shows the guy is willing. He he wants to work. He wants to wants to play. He just got the job. He's ready to dive in and be the leader of this team. The guys love him. It made no sense for Matt Nagy to switch to again go to Andy Dalton. If you have injuries, will take your job. If you are a washed up quarterback who is only there as a stopgap until your your flashy pick gets some time in, gets used to NFL regular season speed, and and get some action. Justin Fields had enough time to be able to say, oh, I deserve to be a starter quarterback of the Chicago Bears. It wasn't as if he came up in mop duty when Andy Dalton got hurt and Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton came back. He was able to see NFL speed, NFL action. They had some issues with the offensive line the previous game. They're able to come back and win a game. And once you do that, you can't take the guy off, guy off the field. Who are you picking in the game? I'm picking the Raiders to beat the Bears in this game. I, I think that we were, we'll see a lot from Justin Fields, but um, there'll be a lot of Chicago fans in Vegas but I think the Raiders are going to come up on top. The Raiders have had exciting games this season, so um, I think this will also be a good game that will come down to the finish as well. Xavier, uh, tell everyone once again what you got going on with Suit Up News. Tomorrow we'll be dropping. Go to hashtag Suit Up News, S-U-I-T-P-N-E-W-S. Go to my timeline on Twitter, at P-X-A-V-I-E-R-P-O-P-E, to check out the latest episode. Suit Up! All right, that was awesome. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Love you, man. Our buddy Xavier Pope out of Chicago, his spot... On Thursdays is brought to you by our friends at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. You may not need an attorney today or even tomorrow, but at some point when that situation arises, you got to get someone 
that you can trust, and we trust Justin Watkins and Matt Hoffman from Battleborn Injury Lawyers. They've been part of Cofield and Company for nine-plus years, and I trust Justin and Matt and the rest of the team at Battleborn Injury Lawyers with all of my important legal issues. Give them a call. Battleborn Injury Lawyers cares about getting you the best compensation for your injuries. 570-9000 is the number. If you're frustrated with your current attorney, you're not seeing that case move forward, Call Justin or Matt. Battleborn Injury Lures 570-9000. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co.